more. Your feelings do not disqualify you from having faith. In fact, there's an opportunity for your faith to flourish hidden in even the messiest of emotions. More on that on today's Dreamers and Disciples. Welcome to the podcast. My name is Wade, and today we're going to talk all about messy emotions, the stuff in your heart that makes you feel like you don't really have faith, because if you had faith, you shouldn't feel this way. We're going to get into all that. Uh, But first, I wanted to share uh, two messages I got from listeners of the podcast, because I want to hear from you guys. I want to know what God is doing in your life. I know you get to hear from me every week. I want to start hearing from you. And you can do that now by going to the podcast page uh, for Dreamers and Disciples on Access More. And on the right-hand side, you'll see a link that says, talk to us, send a voice message to the show. So you can send me a message that way, or you can do it on Instagram at Wade Joy, W-A-D-E-J-O-Y-E. And I'd love to hear from you. So first of all, I got this message from a listener named Steve who said after one of the recent episodes on bitterness, uh, he wrote in and said, I listened to your podcast on bitterness, and it really blessed me. Bitterness is a touchy subject and very personal, but you gave great tools that the Spirit used to help clarify and bring hope to my own uh, struggle with bitterness. So thank you for your obedience and sharing what God revealed to you. Uh, Thank you for sharing that, Steve, and I pray that God will give you freedom uh, in the areas where bitterness is trying to to hold on to your heart, I pray that he'll set you free from that. And then another listener named Brooke wrote in and said, your episode on bitterness really helped me. I realized it was important for me to uproot any bitterness at the beginning so it doesn't have time to grow deeper roots and spread. Uh, Thank you for encouraging us to do the necessary and sometimes hard work on our hearts. Uh, So thank you for sending that in, Brooke, as well. And, And I'd love to hear what is God doing in your life? Is there a testimony that you have of a struggle maybe with bitterness uh, where God has set you free through something that you learned on the podcast. I know we recently talked about gratitude. How are you practicing gratitude in your own life? So leave me a message and maybe I'll share it on an upcoming episode of the show. Uh, but right now, let's let's start talking about your heart. Let's talk about our emotions. And I don't know about you, but my heart can be pretty crowded at times. Uh, so worry and worship, they they tend to be roommates. They share a room. They're always right there side by side. Uh, grief and gladness, they're fighting for space. And peace and panic are, are always there um, trying to get the last word in my heart. And I remember growing up in the church and growing up as a Christian, I used to feel so defeated because of my emotions, because I thought that as I grew in my walk with Jesus— as I grew in my faith, that I was supposed to get rid of the negative emotions and just have the positive emotions. And that never happened for me. And I would feel so defeated because of that. And if you think that you have to reach that place in your faith where you never feel the full range or the full spectrum of emotions, then you're going to feel constantly defeated. And discipleship is not about... um, moving past certain emotions. It's learning how to deal with them. It's learning how to process them well. And, you know, I was I was taught growing up that you should never be led by your emotions. You should always be led by your faith. And I think that's great advice. I think it's true. I stand by it. In fact, I got really good advice one time from a mentor of mine 
named Adrian, and he told me, don't ever make a significant decision when you're upset or angry, because when you're in that state, you're not thinking clearly. And so don't quit your job just because you had a bad day one day, um, because you'll probably regret that. You need to make sure that you're actually weighing all the facts, that you're prayerfully considering decisions. And so you don't want to make rash decisions based on your feelings. So there's a lot of wisdom in that. But I also think you can take that too far and think that you're never supposed to listen to your emotions. And, you know, God made us to be emotional people. Um, That's part of our DNA. It's part of how we're wired in the image of God because God displays emotions in scriptures. And, you know, like I said, we're made in his image. So we need to to look at God and see, you know, how does does God um, exhibit and display these emotions? And maybe that'll give us a clue as to how to steward ours as well. And so we see this in the Old Testament. We see God display the full spectrum of emotions. Um, In Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7, we see what is actually the most quoted description of God and His character and His heart throughout the whole Old Testament. And it all centers, like I said, around His emotional heart towards His people. And it says uh, in verse 6, He passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. But that scripture starts by talking about the compassion of God, um, how gracious God is, how he's slow to anger. He's abounding in love. Uh, we also see in Psalm 104 that the Lord rejoices. Psalm 104, 31 says, The glory of the Lord shall endure forever. The Lord shall rejoice in his works. Uh, we see in Proverbs 6 um, that there are six things which the Lord hates. Yes, seven, which are an abomination to him. So we know that there are things that the Lord hates. He hates sin. First Kings 3.10, we see that the Lord uh, is pleased. It says, In the speech, please the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. We also know that the Lord can be displeased. Uh, in Numbers 11.1, 1, it says, when the people complained, it displeased the Lord and his anger was kindled. So that's also, it shows his anger as well. We see the Lord's jealousy in Exodus 34.14. It says, for you shall not worship any other God for the Lord whose name is jealous is a jealous God. So God displays and shows emotion in scripture. And we see this in an even more pointed way in Jesus. So Matthew 14, 14 says, Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them, and he healed their sick. We constantly see Jesus moving towards people with a heart of compassion. Uh, Luke 10, 21 says, at that same time, Jesus was filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit. And he said, oh, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever and for revealing them to the childlike. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. So Jesus was filled with joy. On the other end of that spectrum, John eleven thirty five. if you grew up in church, you've heard that this is the shortest verse in the Bible, but it's Jesus wept. He felt grief at the loss of his friend Lazarus as he saw the suffering of Lazarus's family. We also see that that Jesus grew tired. In Mark 6, 30 through 31, it says, the apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told them all uh, they had done and taught. Then Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place 
and rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't have time to eat. And then finally, uh, we see Jesus in anguish in Luke twenty-two forty-four. This is him in the garden of Gethsemane when he's praying and he's asking God to take this cup from him. And it says, and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. So here we see Jesus joyful. We see Jesus um, tired. We see Jesus in, in anguish. Um, we see Jesus, I didn't read this one, but we see him angry when he's clearing the temple of the money changers. So we see emotions displayed in Jesus. So the goal of faith can't be to detach yourself from emotions. There's got to be a way that we're meant to express and, and steward them well as followers of Jesus made in the image of our God. And so God is emotional, but we also know that God is perfect in all his ways, and we are not. We are we are broken because of our sin. Now, thankfully, we're redeemed and we're made new creations in Christ Jesus, but that's being worked out in us day in and day out. So we are still dealing with a lot of the desires of the flesh, even though our hearts have been made new by Christ. So yes, God is an emotional God. We are made in his image with emotions, yet our emotions are not always going to be processed in the same perfect way that God processed his emotions, that Jesus processed his emotions, because we also have sin in the mix. But that doesn't mean we can't learn from our emotions. There's still a way that we are called to steward that as followers of Jesus. So that's our question today. How do we process those emotions? What do we do, not just with the positive ones, because we, I think we are on the same page of how to handle joy and compassion and love. But what do we do with the emotions that feel more like unbelief, uh, the emotions that feel contrary to the promises of God, the emotions um, that cause us to worry, the emotions that lead us to anxiety? What do we do with those, and how do we process those? Because I know a lot of us have very unhealthy responses to those emotions. We have unhealthy coping mechanisms. Um, Each of us kind of have our go-to. Mine has always been denial. I grew up thinking that I always had to look like I had everything together. And like I said, if anything in my heart felt more like doubt or unbelief or fear, I felt like I was being a bad Christian. So I tried to stuff those away. But in denying those emotions, I actually made things worse, not better. And it actually ended up increasing my anxiety. So most of our coping mechanisms that are apart from Christ, they're going to lead us to more unhealthy behavior. So we've got to learn um, what is the opportunity in our emotions to actually draw us closer to God, not further away. So here's what I found, and I hope this is helpful for you. I'm going to share several things that I've really meditated on in the last couple of years um, that God has been using to heal my heart uh, and to heal my life. And here's the first, is that while emotions may not be the best decision makers, they can be great indicators. While emotions may not be the best decision makers, they can be great indicators. Uh, And like I said, I had that advice from a friend of mine, a mentor, don't make significant decisions when you're in the heat of emotion. That's great advice. Don't use them to make significant decisions. But they can be great indicators. So here's here's a different way to look at that. I'm in my mid-40s. And I experience a lot more pain in my body than I did when I was in my 20s. 
Um, especially after I work out. I try to work out a lot. I enjoy it. It helps me deal with stress. But I find that I'm sore in places after I work out that I didn't even focus on in my workout. I have, first of all, I don't even know that there's a muscle in that spot. And I don't know how that was sore. I don't know why my leg is sore when I did bicep curls. But somehow, that, that's just the state I live in right now at 46. But what I found is that pain always indicates that there's something that is out of alignment in my workout. Maybe my form isn't correct. And that's probably the case because I usually have terrible form. Or maybe I'm not sleeping well or I'm not eating right, so I'm not getting good recovery. Uh, maybe I'm doing too much um, too much intensity and I need to dial that back. So the pain has a useful purpose because it indicates that there's something that needs to be brought back into alignment so you don't get better by ignoring the problem. So in the same way, grieving reminds us that our heart needs Jesus and that God is with us in our most broken state. Anxiety reminds us that, oh gosh, I'm depending on things that are sinking sand. I'm not standing on the solid rock that is Jesus. So our even our negative emotions can be indicators that our heart is clinging to the wrong things. So our messy emotions, those feelings can actually serve a good purpose when we're not led by them, but instead when we are informed by them. So your feelings should never lead you, but they should always inform you about what is going on underneath the surface of your heart. And so here's the, the other big takeaway I want you to get from this. Is feelings aren't the enemy of faith. They are indicators of the opportunity for faith. Like I said, growing up, sometimes I thought my feelings were the enemy of faith, that I had to walk by faith and not by my feelings. But feelings aren't the enemy. They're the indicators of the opportunity for faith. So a lot of times, um, I was told growing up that um, you should always have a peace about something that God is calling you to do. And I think I understand the sentiment in that, but many of the big steps of faith that God has asked me to take, I never felt a peace about them on the front side of that decision. The peace followed obedience. And so sometimes that that feeling of, um, of a healthy fear of, oh gosh, I'm stepping out into the unknown, into uncertainty, that showed me that there was an, actually an opportunity to trust God and to move forward into something that only God could make happen. Only God could come through for this. And sometimes I have had a peace uh, when I've prayed for it before decisions, but a lot of times I have it. And looking back, that that was the thing God was calling me to do, and the peace came after obedience. So even though I had this nervousness, even though I had this anxiousness, it was actually showing me that, hey, here's an opportunity for you to trust God and not trust your feelings. So the feelings weren't the enemy of my faith. They actually kind of gave me momentum to step forward and say, God, I'm going to put all my chips on you, and I'm going to trust you. So what are some other ways that our feelings can actually be opportunities for faith? And that's where I really want to land the plane for today's episode. And I want to do that by looking at Paul. And I come back to Paul a lot in this podcast because I think he's such a great picture of um, real life, flesh and blood faith. He is somebody who is obviously a hero of the faith, um, probably the most significant um, 
preacher, minister, follower of Christ um, in the last 2,000 years. And yet he had some very real struggles and some very um, uh, intense emotional tug of wars that he is very open about in Scripture. And I want to look at one of those today in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 8 through 10. And this is what Paul says. In 2 Corinthians, I've spent some time studying it this year, is a fascinating letter because Paul lays his heart completely bare to the church in both the, the letters to the Corinthians, but especially the second one. And so he writes them in a state or actually coming out of a state of intense anguish. And this is what he says, verse 8. We think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, and we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God who raises the dead. And He did rescue us from mortal danger, and He will rescue us again. We have placed our confidence in Him, and He will continue to rescue us. I want to key in on that where it says, we were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, and we thought we would never live through it. That sounds pretty intense. And, and I wonder, and I have to imagine that there are people listening to this podcast right now where that doesn't seem too far removed from how you feel in your life. You feel crushed. You feel overwhelmed. You feel like, I don't see how I have the ability to endure. And if that's you right now, um, I think this is going to really encourage you and hopefully give you some handles um, to walk through this season with more hope that God has not abandoned you, but He is with you. But to help show you exactly what Paul was experiencing, I want you to read to you just a paragraph from N.T. Wright. He's one of the top New Testament scholars and specifically probably the top um, scholar on Paul right now alive. And this is what he wrote in his uh, Paul for Everyone commentary series on 2 Corinthians <clears throat> about this passage. He says, in fact, his description sounds much like what we would call a nervous breakdown. The load had become too heavy. All his natural human resources of energy and strength were worn down to nothing. It's bad enough to hear a magistrate declare that you are sentenced to death. It's far worse when a voice deep inside yourself tells you that you might as well give up and die. That is the point Paul had reached, the point where the night had become totally dark and all hope of dawn had disappeared. Now, we don't know if Paul, um, some scholars think he was sick and he had been on the verge of death. Some think that he was, um, there was the threat of him being executed while he was in prison. Um, most believe that he was in Ephesus in prison at some point when he was writing this. We're not exactly sure what it was, but we do know that he was at one of his lowest points, if not his lowest point in his life. He thought he couldn't live through it. Yet Paul writes some profound things in this passage out of this messy, emotional state of his heart. And, you know, for me, I, I mentioned before, I've struggled with anxiety uh, I, very in a very real, tangible way for 15 years. Uh, ever since uh, my twins were born uh, three months premature, I've mentioned that before on the podcast, um, they were born three months premature. We were told that that they probably wouldn't survive. We were told to take one of our daughters off life support. 
They were in the hospital for three months. They've had a lot of health issues, but right now they're doing amazingly well. And they are testimonies to the Lord's goodness. And then our youngest daughter, Sydney, who was born four years after that, she was in the hospital for five weeks until she was diagnosed with cystic fibrosis, which is a very scary condition. And, and once again, the Lord has done miracles in her life. But in those moments when we got those diagnoses um, and when we were faced with an uncertain uh, outlook on their future, we were devastated. We were scared. We were nervous. And our emotions were a mess. And I was so afraid initially to even let anyone into my heart, much less let God into my heart. I tried to pretend everything was good. I was the worship pastor at the church. I had to have faith and I had to look like I had faith or so I thought that it took me a long time before I could actually learn to bring God those emotions. Uh, and it started to manifest itself in, in anxiety. And I had panic attacks for about a year or so. I had a panic attack when I was leading worship. I had one when I was preaching. And those became indicators that something was out of alignment. And it sent me on a journey of healing that I want to share with you some of the things that I've learned over the last 14 years. Um, and that struggle hasn't gone completely away. I've been delivered from a lot of it, but it's still something that my heart is prone to go back to. But I've realized that that doesn't make me less spiritual or mean I have less faith. It means that I'm human, and it means that I need God, and it means that I need to learn how to properly have rhythms of health in my life. And it means that there's an opportunity for me to draw near to God in a new way. And I believe that's the same for you. So I want to share with you from this passage and from my experience in my own life, three opportunities that you can find in your messiest emotions, three opportunities for you to grow in your faith, even in the middle of your desperation, even in the middle of feelings that feel very far removed from faith. And so the first is this. There's the opportunity to reset your reliance. The opportunity to reset your reliance. So going back to 2 Corinthians and verse 9, where Paul says, in fact, we expected to die, but as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God who raises the dead. We stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God who raises the dead. Now, first of all, I love how uh, Paul's hope and the reason he can rely only on God is he looks back and see that that God is a God who raises the dead, and he did that through Jesus Christ, and that changes everything for our faith. Our whole faith is dependent on that one fact, that Jesus has defeated and conquered death, and because of that, we can have hope even in our darkest circumstances because death and the grave have been defeated and we have the Spirit of God inside of us. So that is the anchor of Paul's hope. Um, and so Paul's saying, I'm learning to stop relying on myself and instead rely on this power that is available to us in God through Christ and His resurrection. But Paul doesn't teach that you only receive that power in trials. You have access to the fullness of God in Jesus at all times as a Christian. Uh, so our problem isn't in the availability of God's power. Our problem is our reluctance to rely on that power because we're stuck in the rut of relying on our own. Because when things are going good, it is so easy for us to think that it's because of our own strength, because of our own gifting, because of our own talent. But it's when all those things are stripped away that we have nothing else to hold on to 
but God, because it's in our weakness that we realize that relying on ourselves doesn't get us very far. But when we acknowledge our weakness, and that's an acknowledgement not of defeat or despair, but instead it's the first step towards dependence on Christ. And if you skip ahead in 2 Corinthians uh, to the 12th chapter, that's when Paul says this very famous verse. It says, my grace, we saying that that God told him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and in insults and in hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. See, I was I was talking about that instance when you know our, our kids were in the hospital. And I remember specifically when the twins were in the hospital and our church was rallying around us, and it was such a beautiful picture of, of godly community. And, and people in the church would say, as we were praying and believing for the healing for our daughters, they would say, Man, we admire your faith. And, and let me just let you in on a secret right here that I was afraid to tell them at the time. It didn't feel like I had any faith. It felt like desperation, not faith. But what I learned is that faith usually doesn't feel like faith. Usually faith feels like desperation. It's desperately holding on to God. It's desperately crying out to the Lord when everything is falling apart. It's desperately uttering probably the most powerful prayer you can pray, which is help. It's just one word, desperately holding on to Jesus because He is all we have to hold on to. But that's what faith feels like. Faith doesn't feel like our strength. Faith feels like we're desperately holding on and relying on the power of God. Um, Faith doesn't usually feel like faith in the middle of it, but God gives you grace to endure. We look back on that time, and my wife and I are like, we have no idea how we got through that, but it wasn't our power. It was the grace of God that was made available to us in the middle of it. Um, So stop relying on the feeling of strength, but start relying on God's power. Don't wait for a fake feeling. Be faithful no matter how you're feeling. God's power is available to you no matter how desperate you feel. Paul was crushed, but he realized it was in those moments that the grace of God was right there available to hold on to. See, your strength is an exhaustible resource, but God's strength is infinite. It never runs out. Your strength is imperfect at best. Uh, God's is made perfect in your weakness. Uh, Your wisdom and intellect is shifting sand, but God's is a rock that will withstand any storm. I love Psalm 73, 26. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And it is when our flesh and our heart fails that we cling to that rock even tighter. And so there's the opportunity to reset your reliance from relying on your own strength to relying on the power of God. Here's uh, the second opportunity, and that is the opportunity to increase your intimacy. The opportunity to increase your intimacy. See, true relationship happens in vulnerability. That's true in your relationship with God. It's true in your relationship with others. You can't grow in intimacy when you're hiding parts of yourself from the person that you're trying to grow close to. Um, You can't grow in intimacy when you're not willing to bring all of yourself. And so like I said, when my coping mechanism has been to pretend everything is fine, to deny that there's anything wrong, to deny that I'm feeling weak, I'm not helping myself. I am preventing intimacy with God 
I'm preventing intimacy with my with my wife and my community, um, preventing them from coming in to help me. See, I thought hiding my weakness was the way to get through it. But Paul says, no, it's boasting in your weakness where you actually find strength and find intimacy with God. See, you can't heal what you're not willing to name. You can't heal what you're not willing to name. And when there's a messy a messy um, environment in your heart and you've got all these conflicting emotions, that is an opportunity for you to bring your heart to the Lord and say, God, I need you to show the emotions that I need to bring to you. Show me what's under the surface. Show me the root cause of these. Show me the, the ways that I need to trust you in a different way. Um, what's the relational work with someone else that I need to do? Um, but it's in going through that process of bearing your heart before the Lord and maybe bearing your heart before a counselor or somebody in community that you actually are able to heal. And that happens through intimacy. It happens through closeness. So you can't come to God with one hand open and one hand closed behind your back. You know, the hand that's open, you bring him belief, but you've got your unbelief hidden behind your back in a clenched fist. But I love the honesty of Mark. Uh, 924, the prayer, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. So bring it all to God. Don't hold back your true self because when you hold it back, you're denying an opportunity for intimacy. And, you know, I see this as a dad. When my daughters open up to me about what's going on in their lives, I love it. I lean in, I listen. It means the world to me because I know that they're trusting me with their young heart. And I, I want to wrap my arms around them. And I want to say, I'm here for you. I love you. I want to help you. And that's God's heart towards us. When we draw near to God, He draws near to us. He is always available. He's waiting for us to bring our heart to Him. So God says, don't deny your feelings. Bring them. Don't deny your pain. Bring it. Don't deny your doubt. Bring it to Him. But it's even deeper than that. Because there's an aspect of Jesus that we only encounter in our pain. Uh, Philippians 3, 10 through 11, Paul writes, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. So we love the knowing the power of his resurrection part, but not so much the participation in his sufferings. But it's through that that we understand more about how Jesus submitted to his father, how Jesus was obedient to his father, even in suffering. We learn the depth of his love for his father. We learn uh, the depth of his love for us. So we come to know Jesus in a more intimate way through our times of pain, through our times of suffering. There's an invitation to intimacy, an opportunity for intimacy in that. Uh, So don't ignore that opportunity. God is inviting you in. And then finally, the, the third opportunity is this, the opportunity to steward your suffering, the opportunity to steward your suffering. So if we go back to 2 Corinthians and the passage that we started with, and we just back up a few verses to verse 3, this is what Paul writes right before uh, he talked about this time of despair that he was encountering. He said, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we'll be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. For the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with His comfort through Christ. Even when we are weighed down with troubles, it is for your comfort and salvation. For when we ourselves are comforted, we will certainly comfort you. Then you can patiently endure the same things we suffer. We are confident that as you share in our sufferings, 
you will also share in the comfort God gives us. So Paul is saying that as he is going through his troubles, through his suffering, through his pain, he is storing up treasure that he will one day give to others, that he will one day give to the people that he is called to pastor. He's receiving God's comfort and he's storing that same comfort up, not for himself, but to in turn comfort others. So not only is God comforting you saying, you're not alone, I see you, I love you, but he's also saying, one day I'm going to need you to show others my presence, my love, my power, my comfort. So the situation that you're going through, your your pain, your your despair, your your doubt, it's not just about you. It's about you storing up treasure to give to someone else, um, to show them that God was with you in that time, and He is with them as well. So you want to give them the treasure of your presence, the treasure of God's strength, the treasure of your testimony, the treasure of a listening ear. Uh, the treasure of silence, sometimes just being there with them, the treasure of prayer, the treasure of the wisdom gained through experience. Um, God is calling you to steward your suffering and to multiply it into comfort in the lives of other people. That is an amazing opportunity in the messiness of your emotions. When you feel like um, God is absent, know that one day you're going to be able to use this experience to bless someone else, to encourage someone else. So how can you steward your situation right now? And maybe you're on the other side of that situation and who is in your life and your community that needs um, your presence and needs your testimony of what God did for you in that same situation. So are you stewarding your suffering well? So to sum it all up, feelings aren't the enemy of faith. They are the indicator of the opportunity for faith. So what opportunity is God presenting you right now through the messiness of your heart, through your struggle, through your pain, through your circumstances? Because there's an opportunity not only for you to grow, but also to help others grow as you walk alongside of them. There's the opportunity to reset your reliance, stop relying on your own power, rely on God's. There's the opportunity to increase your intimacy with God, with others, as you open up, as you're vulnerable, as you bring all of yourself. And then there's the opportunity to steward your suffering and to take your pain and multiply it into comfort in the lives of other people. So don't miss the opportunities that are around you. God wants to move in your life and through you, even when you can't make sense of your feelings and when you can't feel faith, God is working. Well, that's it for today's episode. Thanks for joining us for Dreamers and Disciples. I'd love for you to subscribe to the podcast. I'd love for you to share this episode, share the podcast. Uh, Maybe there's someone going through a, a hard time right now, and one of the ways you can steward your suffering is saying, hey, I've been there, and I want to share this podcast with you right now because I think it might encourage you. Um, But thank you once again, and I'll see you back here next week for Dreamers and Disciples. Mm -hmm.